Hello, Trash Future listeners. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up before the start of the episode that there are two live events involving the TF cast that if you are interested in and live in London, you can attend. One of them is tonight. Uh, link is in the show notes for Milo doing a stand-up show. And we also have our first Trash Future live show since the start of the pandemic. It's on September 1st at Voxel Comedy Club in Voxel. There's a link in the show notes if you want to get tickets. And also, if you're a Patreon subscriber, there's a discount for purchasing tickets. So just look at the Patreon posts. Regardless of what tier you're on, there is, in fact, a discount available to you. Anyway, thank you, and please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this free episode of TF, uh, that podcast you're listening to right now. It's the serious one. It's the serious one. Uh, It is just myself and Alice, uh, and we are joined uh, once again uh, by um, a journalist and uh, sort of a a reporter uh, from Iran and Afghanistan, uh, Aaron Merritt. Aaron, how's it going? Hi there. Glad to be here. Uh, and we are well. We are gl- we are glad to have you back, though the circumstances I think are much like the previous time we spoke. Yeah, th- um, thank you for coming on our comedy podcast to talk about a human tragedy again. Uh, I'm so glad to get the call every time a human tragedy happens. I don't know why I've been specialising in them so much. We're, we're very simple people, right? We have we have guys for stuff. So, like, if we need to read a bad book by a by an MP, we call Nish Kumar. Uh, if we need to read like a bad book by like a brains guy, we call Felix Biederman. And if we need to like analyze one of the worst foreign policy disasters in a generation, we call you. Uh, yeah. Glad to be of service. Right. You're you are our you're our our go to guy. Um. So look, it's this is a, it's a difficult one to say uh, set the table for, but um, we we have been sort of watching. I would say. The uh, very sort of uh, at once uh, tragic and predictable consequences. The, the, of, the rapid, um, unplanned disassembly of uh, yes. the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. Yes, uh, and the re- replacement by the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan as the um, Western Western forces that have been uh, occupying it, um, basically you know, terrorizing it for the last. You know, whether you want to say twenty years or one hundred and fifty years, have sort of just kind of left away in the middle of the night, and then had yep. had to walk that back a little bit by uh, occupying Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul, uh, mm-hmm. which has been you know a, a sort of like uh, a, a scene from Hieronymus Bosch. You know, it's- but uh, and I think one of the things that have been there, there are lots of sort of things going on right now. There is a a sort of flurry of um, of uh, sort of history rewriting of um, sort of outbursts of sentimentality by you know, imperialist monsters um, all over uh, sort of the British media, much as there was twenty years ago to kick the um, this particular thing off. And so we're ha- we have Aaron back on focus on a few things. We want to discuss in detail how how we got here from sort of the the beginnings of. Uh, Western, particularly British, uh, imperialism in Afghanistan for the last, um, well, to be 150, 200 years, um, with this 
special focus on this pernicious myth that it is possible for an, an imperial power to sort of go in with pure intentions and improve a place by colonizing it, and why this story of state building ends up being more or less the same as the process of whipping the country up into a bloodthirsty in frenzy. In this hour or so of, uh, of podcast, we are going to solve why Afghanistan happened the way that it did. <laughs> That's right. Setting up some, some um, small goals for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that, uh, that has been happening, in fact, I think it's probably worth opening on and is the sort of prism through which you can read much of the British involvement in Afghanistan is that uh, Boris Johnson has been trying to get Joe Biden on the phone for the last 36 hours. Uh, the, you know, the UK, America's, America's Lancer. Yes, he's being, uh, he's being ignored uh, by Joe Biden, uh, who uh, can't figure out uh, how to transfer the call. <laughs> Um, but uh, I think if we want to think about Britain in Afghanistan, right, there is this, there is this idea constantly sort of that we'll sort of get to that we must have been, we could not have done other mm. than been there. And that is an idea that has been very hard to break out of. It's an idea that, that sort of gripped the country in the 19th century uh, in the latter, in, 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 in for hundreds of years, in fact, right? And Aaron, one of the things we've been talking about is how this obsession has meant that history has proceeded at different speeds in Afghanistan because it has been, because it has essentially been held, in, held back by colonial powers. It has been, whether you want to call it underdeveloped, like how Europe, Europe underdeveloped Africa, or how it has just been essentially sort of wrongly used, you might say. You know, can you elaborate on that idea a bit? Yeah, so I think it was, you, you mentioned the media and this sort of pearl clutching by a lot of sort of a liberal commentariat. And um, as far as I see it, these are real, um, they, they provide cover to the sort of um, imperial apparatus because this uh, talk about um, the rights of women and foreign correspondents sort of calling up um, their friends in Kabul and um, people decrying with threat to liberty. Um, and the Afghan Taliban being a sort of like primordial or medieval, pick your metaphor, force of darkness is kind of extremely interesting and also incredibly frustrating. And I find it frustrating really for two reasons. One is that the evocation of Western values, which are broadly considered good in the West, secularism, individual autonomy, universal human rights, etc., is a part of the imperial project. There's always uh, there's always a uh, a utopian side to imperialism, and imperialism can't really function without it. It was saving souls in Christendom, and then these days it's spreading individual autonomy and preserving human rights. And these liberal values have existed in Afghanistan since the middle of modernity. Like they're not alien to the country. However, to assume that they're a majority opinion, or even as people seem to imply, some sort of universal sort of essence of everyone, including every Afghan, really, um, really like misses the point in terms of a history of Afghanistan. Um, there. And also, these values aren't shared by the governments and the imperial powers 
who have been involved in Afghanistan for a long time. No, we, we barely care about uh, violence against women and girls here. So, but yeah, the the idea that they give a shit about women in Afghanistan, um, and that it's not just propaganda is really for for the birds. Like mm. it, the, the the history, like just a little bit of history. Like in the nineteen seventies, Afghan just basically fell apart when they got rid of the king. And they entered a civil war, and then that put the country in play in the forces of a cold war. And then the CIA and the um, and the CIA basically and teamed up with Saudi Arabia and Pakistan to on a huge cultural program and military program to basically export a Salafi version of Islam, which was alien to Afghanistan before that, and financing a very synthetic Mujahideen movement to fight Soviet incursions into Afghanistan because the Soviets were backing the government. And there was no talk about liberal values in this. It was a pure realpolitik uh, move. And the the consequences of this Islamist movement have been al-Qaeda and have been the Taliban. So it's not only that the Western liberal commentariat is really focused on the propaganda side of things, they're the only ones who believe in it. The governments don't believe in it. They don't share their opinion. Mm. It's and we we talk about this like um we talk about about history. I think what we're talking about as well is we're talking about the the sort of the long run of uh, social creation. We're talking about history, capital H. Yes, I, I made this somewhere... joke on Twitter that I was trying to come up with a list of people I blamed for the collapse of Afghanistan, and I started with like you know Reagan, uh, both of the George Bushes, and by the time I got into the second post, I was like, yeah, uh, like William the Conqueror, the first fish to get onto land. Um, but what what I think is 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 sort of something that you almost have to say is like table stakes here, is that the idea that a place has some kind of you know um, organic essential culture that is um, aside from its history and the history of the sort of these the struggles of institution building and institutional control in it that are aside from its history of sort of imperialism as a imperial core power or colony is um, you know sort of. It's something that the, the the liberal interventionists have always depended on, but if you actually look at the history, if you but the history, especially the history of here, is one of um, it, the sort of capital H history is of place imperial powers projecting themselves onto it and trying to reshape it in their image, and so when we say that history has been arrested, it is. And again, this is sort of going to be a key concept as we go on that history, well, the, the arresting of history has been. Sort of a, a, a tragedy for um, for the people who are actually affected by it, and, right. and that the idea of arresting history is a really good uh, like way to look at things. Like essentially, after the fall of the Soviet Union, we have this whole notion of the end of history, obviously. And really, going into Afghanistan in two thousand and one was trying to stop the end of history. It was trying. It, it was. It was trying. It was trying to. It was. No, it was trying to. It was trying to embed the end of history. The, the Taliban was about to take over the country, and we sent them out. We excluded them from the political consensus. We installed a client government. We essentially colonized and occupied Afghanistan for 20 years. And last week, history, the clock has started again. And we, we, we're just going straight back to the consequences of the Cold War um, in 2021. It's just been freeze frame since, since 2001. So I think with that sort of 
bit of, I don't know, sort of, um, uh, by way of introduction, I guess. I think what I want to do is I want to talk. We have established that invading Afghanistan was a bad idea. <laughs> few, few <laughs> so I, I'd speak like to, about this. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to talk specifically a little bit more um, about about Britain, right? Always because we had this in 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 the early two thousands, right? There was this idea that the armies of the West would act as avenging angels, effortlessly sweeping aside all in their path by dint of bravery, valor, honor, uh, the superior technology, and it was completely inescapable, and it is now led, much, uh, now led, I think, you know, to the, the, the sort of very striking image of the last helicopter leaving the American embassy. It has led to what I think a lot of people are calling a Vietnam moment, but I think it's sort of, that's sort of wrong. I, I would say it's, it's America's Suez, but it's our second Suez, mm. because we really didn't, we really wanted to get over the first one. And so we were willing to do anything to try to, to try to get around that. But instead, we just did a second yeah. Suez well, crisis mean, as sort yeah. of we are more in, we have less credibility somehow than before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the idea that like um, it's sort of internationally recognized now that for America, at least just like, oh, you just you, you can't do that anymore. You don't have the state capacity to pull off something like this anymore. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think Suez is a better fit. but like. The thing that always always comes up to me is like you can always do these incredibly like reductive views of history, like oh it just repeats itself, doesn't it? And then once you like you you learn a little bit, you stop doing that, and then you spend the next you know ten fifteen years learning and reading, and then you come back and you you go oh yeah, it actually it, the reductive thing was just broadly correct. It's just like, oh yeah, just, yeah, basically is Vietnam. Sure, who gives a shit? That com- that comparison works. Depends what you're using it for. And 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 our desire to, I think, remove ourselves from our uh, from the humiliation of Suez. We sort of, I think, in the early 2000s, the British state, and again, ironic because it led to another one. But the British, the 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 British role in Afghanistan, I think, should be remembered as the kind of frenzied violence of a dying animal. Mm. Where even on its own terms, it wasn't a strategy. It was sort of lashing. It was the expression of internal politics, manias, insecurities, and material conditions, sort of just lashing out bloodily across the world, right? Like, I, I think there is, but also I think that there was this in the early two thousands, this idea of, um, the idea of the obvious justness of this sort of you know bloody imperial adventure, um, was something that I, th- I think it. I think we have forgotten um, the extent to which uh, that sort of Tony Blair's sort of Christian missionary zeal mm. uh, to go into Afghanistan and to fight Islam on behalf of on behalf of the sort of glory of the fucking I don't know all the people that Ben Shapiro no, likes. I mean, well, um, I, I go yeah. back and forth, right? Because like obviously we we agree that this was bad, right? But I I don't necessarily think that it was that relevant, and I think that my, my like my best expression for this is um, Boris, you know, texting, uh, texting Joe Biden, like, uh, you, you know, like, hey, 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 you, hey, you, you out too much? Like, I, I think genuinely uh, that there's like a particular irrelevance that we have to contend with when we're talking about Britain in Afghanistan. And I think if you want your own sort of miniature table stakes for this, I think it's to first say that, like, if. Tony Blair had like been a completely different person, or had never been leader of the Labour Party, and uh, the British Army and the British Armed Forces had never signed up to ISAF in the first place, and we had never invaded Afghanistan. 
it would have made, I think, zero practical material difference to whether or not Afghanistan was invaded, what that invasion looked like, what the occupation looked like, or probably even how it ended. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The, it, does, it doesn't feel really anything is different between 2001 and 2021, except for a load of dead Afghans and yeah. military personnel and an incredible transfer of wealth between essentially US and European taxpayers and various private private security companies. Private security companies and local warlords, of whom we did a fantastic job of picking the absolute worst of the worst. And that's something that, like, I'm endlessly fascinated by. Is like, uh, you know, we have we have occupied your country. We will now be giving a large amount of money in cash in pallets to like the worst rapist in it. Um, it's it's like trying to like nation build in Indiana by giving all of the country's money to John Wayne Gacy. And I think right there is this sense that all of the, the that one of the important things to capture about this as well, right? is that all of the people who sort of um, were willing to take to the front covers of the broadsheets and you know, denounce as traitors anyone who wouldn't, um, who wouldn't give their full-throated support to this, uh, A, incredibly evil, but B, incredibly irrelevant uh, mission, mm. uh, it's not just that they have been inherited, right? It's not that their positions have been inherited by others who agree with them. It's the same They're guys. They're still in the same... It's the same guys. Yeah. It's the same guys saying uh, it does... But events have completely discredited them, but they are undefeatable because they're also the referees of deciding who is defeated. Yeah, it's, re it's really hard to listen to like Tom Tugendhal. Like he's really, he's, 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 he's got nothing really left to say except for spilled blood and honor of British soldiers. And we've made a sacrifice and we need to continue making the sacrifice in order to achieve the sacrifice. Like it's incredible. It's incredible. It's just like, it's it just is imperial nostalgia writ large, and it's it's sort of like he's basically just advocating throwing good money after bad because yeah. because because what because Britain needs an expeditionary force it needs to have its former colonial glories transferred into the twenty first century like it's um it, 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 the fact that that's his only um, response to this really shows how tawdry the sort of like mm. thinking is in in london particularly it's the it, it's the i think that when we talk about nostalgia it's one of the things that really was distinct between the sort of british and american sort of lead-ups to and denouement oh, yeah, yeah like the, the, yeah. the americans like the decision makers in america who in like occupied Afghanistan and then perpetuated that occupation, they weren't trying to recapture anything. They just, you know, by and large, yeah. they, they, you know, they did it because they wanted to, and then because it was later, because it was foisted upon them. Uh, like, yeah. whereas in Britain, it's always, always been this sort of like, uh, well, what do we do with this legacy of colonialism? And may maybe yeah. we can like... And giving it the most favorable possible interpretation because I'm nice. What if maybe we like turn that sort of civilizing mission towards like sort of nice liberal causes, and we you know we prevent violence against the women and girls, uh, always women and girls, and like we 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 build a sort of a liberal secular state in in Afghanistan, and soon you'll be able to go to a press and manger in Kabul. Yeah, and it's it's the sheer sentimentality, I think, yeah. with which that it's was. Mawkish is sold. the word I'm looking for. Yeah. It, it's really and, mawkish. 
and and for not taking it seriously, you can sort of it can then be said that you you are hurting the people who have made the sacrifice, and I, you know, Danny Finkelstein, who speak on their behalf, mm-hmm. right? If you don't take my feelings about this seriously, because that is important to all of us, I have decided on the page, the front page of the Times. Yeah. So, speaking of Finkelstein, I actually have taken. A bit of an article, sort of in our our bit of the episode where we talk about this sort of current political media climate around it. Uh, This is an article by Danny Finkelstein in the Times. Um, He says, but advocating for why basically uh, we should just be uh, at war forever. Um, He says there is a reason why we have police forces. Without them comes the rule of the. (laughs) Without them comes the rule of the violent and the triumph of the thief. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what's not violent is continuing this metaphor with invading Afghanistan. <laughs> Without them, there is no law worth having and no freedom that endures. Hmm. Yet the relief that U.S. powers seem to be receding didn't appear to create an understanding that a Western, that a Western alternative would need to be created. Why? Instead, why, why would it? A- why would it need to be created? Uh, well, uh, I'll tell you why, Alice, because uh, everything is just institutions which are just ideas. Uh, is and- it because if we don't create the fucking like if we don't do a, a rules-based international order and we don't do colonialism, Putin is going to do it? Yes, that is what he says. What it fucking is? <laughs> Why is it always uh, Putin as- with these people too? Like probably the least capable person of doing half the shit that they imagine. It says Assad is the first example he gives. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the the sort of like um, Russia scare, the Red Scare is exactly, it's got a real echo for the beginning of our sort of like colonial experiment in Afghanistan as well. It was like the great game was just obsessed with Russia getting in on the sort of cash cow that was the barrage. Like Afghanistan repeatedly throughout the 1800s just had to be cowed and divided and it's really gory stuff like the but everyone knows about the first afghan war which was the failure and it's sort of like that sort of like like national myths around britain's losses which is is like dunkirk sort of spirit idea but the second afghan war we succeeded we went in and we we burned the country down to the ground in vengeance. Like, as we were leaving in the first Afghan war, there was, like, there's there's, there's very credible stories by sort of, like, Tory historians in the sort of, like, 1960s who have written about, like, mass rape by British soldiers and cutting the mulberry trees to destroy in a sort of, like, slash-and-burn strategy because they lost the war. And then when they went in, in the second Afghan war... They they completely terrorized the population, and they were essentially they they empowered the warlords um, to stop the Ruskies getting in, and it's exactly the same thing in the twentieth century. It's phenomenal. Like I mean, it's 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 just it's very it's almost like it's just tropes which they don't really believe in anymore, but they're just at hand. And if you want to be materialist about it, as we've just discussed, the real. The real reason why we're there is it's it's finance. It could be it, it could be Afghanistan or it could be anywhere else. It's just a way to create a stimulus for defense industries and uh, and politicians who are interested in pursuing imperial projects and bankrolling those defense industries. Mm. I mean, it's this is this is something I think we're sort of reach, we're reaching ahead to this a little bit, but I think it's worth bringing up now, right? Like the the. The point of sort of imperialism in your sort of standard, like, you know, Leninist analysis or whatever, is basically that imperialism exists to secure capital assets abroad when sort of returns on capital at home become too low. 
right? And you need to, and you need your your um your government to basically go and secure what you've done overseas, like your mine or whatever overseas. And what sort of was so striking about this, especially, and this I think is true for both the UK and US, as kind of global consumers of last resort, is that the when the empire already bestrides the entire world, right? When everyone's in the WTO, more or less, um, you don't really, you're not, you're not really sort of sending expeditionary forces to go secure your mine, or not nearly as much. But what you are doing is um, you are mining sort of the only source of wealth, uh, or at least for now, you're mining the only source of wealth, which is the Fed. You're mining the U.S. Treasury. You are um, you're creating a big hole for it to shovel money into, and because because these people, these leaders, whether it's sort of you know your Rumsfeld or Blair or whatever, have been shaped by this particular system because they come from that history of being in an imperial core. The only way that they know or want to how to do or want to do that is by um, delighting in by sort of you know glorying in the sort of uh, directing of mass slaughter. Basically, they could not think of another. They could not. And they could not and did not want to think of another uh, money burning program other than just uh, the mass slaughter of people they don't think of as human. Basically, yeah, we used to we used to dig coal out of the ground, and now we kill Afghans. Like, I mean, it's just whatever whatever pays the bills. Um, and, and so uh, Finkelstein goes on. He says, as Brett Stevens argued prophetically in his book America in Retreat in 2014. <laughs> imagine, imagine simping for Brett Stevens of all people. I mean that's that's I, lo- and this is this is my point about irrelevance, right? Is like th- this is the guy whose attention you're trying to get, whose ideas you're trying to recycle. Is this guy who's like he's a joke in his own country, but like he's at least in the room, and like n- you're not in like the paper of record in yours, which is great. Yeah, uh, which yeah, that is I will always find that very funny. Uh, but uh, the quote he takes from Stevens is this. A world in which the leading liberal democratic nation does not assume its role as world policemen oh, will become a world in which dictatorships contend or unite to fill the breach. Okay, fine. Good. Um, who, get, who cares? Yeah. Why, why should I give a shit? Why should I have to like go and send my kids to get killed for you know your policing project? And and well and and there's that there's that there's there's that criticism, yeah. But there's also like again the. The sort of this view, the liberal interventionist worldview, has such a poor re- rem- remembering, as a poor memory, because it does not recall that sort of many of those soldiers that sort of the U.S. or U.K. would have sent out across their borders were in, in support of like <laughs> fucking like I don't know Rafael Trujillo or whatever. Sure. You know, this was this is the these are the country that says yes, we need Fulgencio Batista. Hmm. We need to we need to make sure the fingernail pulling. It, it's the they do not see. And whether they, they don't see because they don't want to or they don't see because they're cynical, but they are the uh, union of tyranny, mm. basically. Yeah, but like we have, to, we have to do that tyranny because otherwise other ba- bad people might do the tyranny. And it's bad when they do it. So we have to do it in like, it, it, you know, to preempt that. And, and at the very core of all of that writing and sort of, you know, the Times or the Guardian basically saying, well... Imperialism is a bad business, but you know uh, we must be spreading human rights because a, if we don't do it, the Russians will spread their version of society, and b, look at these sort of poor benighted people requiring requiring our saving anyway. It's the same version of that. It's identical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you need to you can't you can't just say we want your stuff anymore. You have to dress it up in idealism, and it used to be religious idealism. 
And now it's secular, like the same energies which were focused on sort of proselytizing people are now getting people to join up to the international rules-based order, which is subjugated by Rome. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's another, it is another, it's an another entirely faith-based organization as well. But I think there's, we can talk now, right, about if that was the environment at the time, this sort of, um, we have the environment at the time and now being, I think, roughly similar, where it almost doesn't matter if every British, British media and political figure is being cynical or not, because the end result is the same. And the end result now is thing is looking at sort of two decades of sort of um, failure and suffering that is directly traceable, sort of at least a lot of it is directly traceable back to us. Most of it's directly traceable back to the U.S. just by the numbers. Um, but our, our allies, we sort of uh, vociferously supported. There is a general consensus that uh, if you want to learn anything from the last 20 years, it's in bad taste to do so. Uh, in fact, talking about this, in talking about the evil primarily flowing from, let's say, inside the house, is taking away the agency of uh, the people who've been sort of brutally colonized and had their history frozen for 150 years, um, or even that cons- anything other than any any involvement that we may have that doesn't grow out of the barrel of the gun is supporting terrorism, as Richard Bergen is frequently now being sort of accused of by uh, uh, prominent columnists as well. And it's just, it is, it is a classic, it is, I've, I talk about C. Wright Mills uh, quite a bit, I think, for no, for no bad reason, because it's, this is the classic sort of um, case of what he would call crackpot realism. The idea that we can only have peace if we intensify the violence and anything other than violence intensification is going to actually be counterproductive to the project of peace building. And if you ask how that works, then you are an yeah, enemy. You have to destroy basically. the village in order to save it, in order, like to take yeah. another one of uh, this kind of thinking's greatest hits. Mm. And, and, and the, you can see sort of the, the great, the great um, sort of barding on the side of British liberalism is... You know, the, let's say the British liberalism that sort of runs through all of our major parties, that sort of defines the bounds of acceptability for our media, that's sort of uni- almost uniquely anti-intellectual and bloodthirsty um, uh, uh, ideology that has sort of had the country in its grip more or less since the fucking Corn Laws. Um, it is, it is again gearing itself up to claim to have been right all the time, to have been pre- and to have been betrayed by the sort of masses of people who either don't hypnotized by Jeremy Crubbins. Um, and, and so it's, you say, and, and so we can go on a little bit. Uh, the thing that I, I, I sort of mostly noticed that was sort of just absolutely jaw-dropping was a clip from uh, Sky News that was going around where a journalist is asking the children of a dead soldier, do you think now that your dad died in vain? Oh, because they love owning children is the thing. Yeah, because, because the media... The, the, the news media loves to feel important and glorious and like they're involved in history. And mm. to take away their war takes away the thing that makes them special. And so, of course, they are furious that we are, um, you know, no longer uh, going to be you know, spreading some of this democracy from the barrel of a gun. And just that question, do you think your dad died in vain? I mean... That poor child's poor father did die in vain. Like, no one's disputing that. But so what? So what do we do? We make more people die in vain to sustain something which we know to be unsustainable. Yeah, because, it, because acknowledging reality is Taliban or Russia 
or you're a, you're just a sort of loony lefty if you try to if you allow these yourself to understand this if you allow yourself to look in this place and make an apprehension of the truth then you are an enemy but basically if you connect if you connect your words to reality you are really messing up the apple car and it's it's they're only interested in owning the other side politically for domestic purposes it's it's um it's like totally unmoored from from the reality of british occupation of afghanistan four times in the last 200 years achieving absolutely naught mm. i think it's more than it's you could even go beyond that though you can say it's 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 unconnect the rea- it is connected to the reality because though it never receives information back up it sends information back down right mm. it's that these yeah th- th- this is it has the capacity to hurt others but not to like be <laughs> hurt by the truth yeah precisely it will be discredited but never defeated yes this is the, like it's the kind of thinking that like oh this is the reason why we have had to like kill that kid's dad or like bomb a compound or whatever but it's never going to be the reason why we do anything good yeah precisely yeah, yeah. the truth precisely. is what we make it yeah um so i think we can also say right like you know, what are what are, what how are sort of politicians reacting now a lot of it is quite that is is quite similar to that um in the european union the, the wonderful progressive european union um looks like it's going to be uh protecting itself against migrant flows from afghanistan so sucks we left that um because mm. that because where britain is saying we'll take 20,000 a microscopic amount a, a paltry number of people considering how many lives we have been personally involved in uh shattering over there how many people we have personally endangered by coming into contact with them we're saying we will take 20,000 of you over the course of several years and by the way mm. if you want to have a chance of resettling here you have to keep all the stuff that's evidence that will be used by people who want to kill you in your country yes yeah. just keep that in like a nice sort of neat bundle yeah yeah even yeah, yeah. even that paltry amount though did outflank labor from the left which was the of purpose course. of the announcement um and what a roaring success because now the Tories can always say, well, we wanted to help the Afghans and you did it. Yeah. Um, uh, voters love compromise, though. So I think we'll see how that plays in red car. Um, <laughs> right. And but and that, that's the other thing, right? It's every every Western country sort of um, has been told that it, it, it has broken this place. It has shattered lives of people here again for the feelings of like 10 guys. Um, and then you know like so one guy can like i don't know like, get a yacht with a helicopter um and so they're saying okay well we need to make sure that we only deserving claimants are able to come in and so they, they still they still have to say we still want to send most of you back home mm-hmm. um and you know i mean it's it's that's uh, aaron you mentioned labor I mean, um, Starmer's, Starmer's speech, sort of not about the refugee thing, which he was sort of immediately outflanked on, has basically been saying, he said this, yeah, this, is, this is from his speech, for those brave people around the world living under regimes paying scant regard to human rights, but resisting those regimes in the pursuit of democracy, equality, and individual freedom, what does this withdrawal say to them? What does this retreat from freedom signal to those prepared to stand up for it? What does this surrender to extremism mean to those prepared to face it down? What does it mean for those nations who support a, say it with me now, international rules-based system 
when we hand over power <laughs> to those who recognize no rules at all. Um, and they recognize rules, you just don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> and so and it's not even that they're good rules; they're terrible rules. But like, it's they're not fucking tyrannids, man. You don't. Um, never mind. It's a retreat yeah. from freedom. It sounds like Reagan. Like it's incredible. Can you imagine one of his twenty-five-year-old aides is cooking up, like probably watching Reagan speeches and getting carried away of himself, and then it comes out of Keir Starmer's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least, at, Reagan. Reagan had the charisma of an actor. So what if we combine his intellect with the charisma of a <laughs> sort of um, angry divorced man in an SUV? Uh, mm. He says. Uh, we have fought for 20 years to rid Afghanistan of terror. Yep, that sure no, is something that haven't. we have done. Um, oh my god! Even if we were trying to do that, we had done a terrible job yep. at it. Yep, for any number of reasons. Like, like, uh, like you said, Alice, we fought, we fought for freedom in Indiana by giving two trillion dollars to John Wayne Gacy. I really hope John Wayne Gacy is actually from Indiana, or that joke is going to like annoy me um, when I listen back. But it's this is again, it's the what I think what the, the point of what Labour is saying here is it what Starmer is act, Starmer's not actually saying this. What he's actually saying is, look, we know what facts we cannot apprehend. We know where we cannot look, and you can trust us to not look there. We will we hmm. promise to not take this seriously. Um, and you know, uh, there are there are more, right? Pat McFadden, Dan Jarvis. Uh, uh, they've said uh, that the- there's this whole sort of like coterie of uh, particularly Tory MPs who are like mostly junior officers and various like guards regiments mm. who have now like th- th- they're sort of the primary drivers of being in your feelings about this on national TV. Yeah, uh, but they're also the ones who are like sort of moving within government for like various purposes, uh, including both. Taking more Afghan refugees, but also reoccupying bits of Afghanistan. Yeah, uh, which is just stunning. They're the they're the ones who want to like um, support uh, the Pancharis. I think. Of course. Yeah, they're like, of well, course, there's yeah. resistance to the Taliban, so uh, we've been out of there for what two days. Fifth angle Afghan reason, war. It's the reason go. why uh, why Dominic Raab is in trouble is because uh, essentially, like, he wouldn't join on to Ben Wallace, the Minister of Defense's plan to build a coalition without the United States to try and like unilaterally intervene again. I mean. That I would love to see British soldiers squaring up without the Americans to the Taliban. Like it would be, it would be a jolly fight. Remember when Britain last tried to do something unilaterally without the U.S.? Uh, Britain ran out of bombs in forty minutes. Yeah, it was, it was in um, and this was the first. This was before America got involved in Libya. It was an Anglo-French operation, and they ran out of bombs in forty minutes. Uh, this is just. It is. It is. It is. It is. It's something that you have to sort of think about in two ways. It is. Um, it is fantasy. It is the fantasy of a child, but it is the fantasy of a cruel and or sociopathic a officer, child. Which same thing. It is. Yeah. It, it is a, a, fant- <laughs> a cruel or sociopathic, a uh, cruel or sociopathic child, such as a captain and the Grenadier Guards. <laughs> um, and so basically now, like Tory MPs have made like like Labour MPs mostly are focusing on this ruins the rules of the Atlantic Alliance because. You know, like I think Labour fought tooth and nail to be a party that was all about sort of being the best at the rules. Um, mm. And without the Atlantic Alliance, we have lost rules, and those are rules I can no longer sort of memorize or hold over people. 
Tory MPs, as you say, Alice, are generally like, yeah, the, the Gibbo group chat of MPs. Bunch of sort of, you know. No, it's, it's, it's not the Gibbo group chat. It's the like junior officer version of the Gibbo group chat, uh, which is, it, it, think of it more as the sort of like pouring port all over your head at Durham kind of thing, but with a side order of like, uh, maybe we should support Masood's son yeah. from the Panshir. Uh, so, uh, but they, they're basically now mostly going on TV and crying. Which yes. is fucking infuriating. You're going on TV and you're crying for something that you fucking did. You're crying because you got to do, you got to live out your little fantasy of being the sort of, um, I don't know, like, like uh, 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 Abbott for the, the 21st century, but safely from Westminster. And then you go on TV and you fucking cry. You cry mm. because you didn't get to, you, because you have done this horrible thing and you now have to live with the consequences, and you are fucking yeah, I, crying I, I, I about it. I can't believe that, like, the horrible thing that I did was also done badly by the British government, a thing that I work in and is, like, familiar to me now as an MP, yeah. you know? You know? On the, one, on the one hand, it's kind of like a toddler sort of, like, crying that his fantasy didn't come true. But also, Ben Wallace, the nerve of him, like, he is so deep in sort of, like, the private sector and sort of an, um, private security sort of stuff. Like, he's, he's a director of a company which was made by the war in Afghanistan. Like, so he's crying as much over, like, financial losses as he is about sort of his dream not coming true. It's a real spooky sight. Mm. And, and when we speak about about his, it, it, that's what he is. He is to this imperial project the equivalent of a, the owner of a mine in the previous one. He is someone who has, uh, who's there, um, sort of dutifully mining the coffers of the British state, uh, because just because they have to live out their murder fantasy. And and Tobias Elwood went one further. He said just because the U.S. chose to- <laughs> Tobias Elwood's also a guards officer. Yes, all of these guys were guards officers. Although um, Wallace <laughs> was a guards officer uh, who only experienced deployment in Northern Ireland. Good. Yeah. A little practice there. Yeah, you know, absolutely. all of this stuff fits together very nicely. Uh, Tobias El I think Tom Tugendat was a guards officer as well. These guys are all fucking guards officers. Uh, mm -hmm. Elwood says just because the U.S. chose to depart does not mean we should slavishly follow suit. We must assert our yeah yeah we must assert our freedom and stay there here. Is absolutely nothing to assert independently. Yeah. There's we don't we don't have that capacity. Like if you want to play the great game thing, which is stupid, you shouldn't do it. But if you want to do the like, uh, we have to like advance a you know a, a characteristic sort of national mission against you know Putin or yeah, she or. Assad, even then, you you have to at least be fucking realistic about it, mm. and and acknowledge that like th there's nothing we can do unilaterally anymore. Our last best hopes for that were like getting in with the Americans and doing everything they say, or trying to have some kind of say in Europe. And we've managed to signally fuck both of those. Yeah, exactly. There is, there is, because, but because for, for no real reason. Like this is my most FBPE thing. Is like if. If this is what you say you want, if you want a Britain that is like uh, aggressively, like muscularly liberal internationally, then your only real hope of doing that was to, like within some sort of larger combine, and you just destroyed the possibility of one of those because you just felt like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it because it's 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 still about fantasy. Just, and I think that the key, uh, I think the 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 idea is just that yeah, well. 
I like I want to believe that we can have uh, that we that we can continue. And this is where it gets back to the sentimentality. Right. And where where this mm. is a uniquely a uniquely sort of um, a uniquely British moment in in a war that has been where we have been um, sort of supporting players more or less uh, there because we think it's the, there because we just want to be there. Um, mm. But the, the, the one bit that was like very uniquely us is this as it falls apart, the, the just absolutely fucking typical um, victim complex and uh, mawkish sentimentality that is inescapable in this country and worshipped like it is the god force itself. Mm. Um, and I, so I think, I think sort of that's, if we can understand sort of the politics of it now, it's that, yeah, it's all of mainstream politics is lined up between trying to get, get us back in, except for the, you know, the, the, the people who are like, have to be, cons- except for anyone with act any actual power, basically. Um, mm. As, as sort of realized that a Britain is not a serious country, it can't do anything about this. B yeah, well, like th- this is the thing, right? Like u- ultimately, this is where being reductive pays off again, right? Because like if you were uh, you, you know a, a young teenager when the the war in Afghanistan was was started or was being prosecuted as I was, then you can be like, uh, well, at the time you're just like, oh, it's like four Americans who just wanted to do it because they liked it because they're crazy, hmm. and like. Once again, you sort of circle back, and this is basically the case. And like, this is—it's like decisions made by Americans, uh, by American presidents who, like, at first wanted to, and then like, were unable to figure out a way not to be in Afghanistan. And then finally, we we culminate in Joe Biden, who you know has a brain disease. Mm. I mean, if if Britain wants to be in Afghanistan because it feels that it should. Pretty much, that's like the teleology of why we would ever be extending our mission to Afghanistan versus the Taliban who want to get rid of corruption and foreigners and institute indigenous rule of Afghanistan. Which is very funny because it did not used to be thus, of course. That's something that we have made the Taliban into. And during the very, very early stages of the war, when we were still trying to, like, I guess, Arm and train moderate rebels. <laughs> um, w- one of the one of the things that proved to be most effective against the Taliban is uh, is Pashtuns talking to other Pashtuns and going, "Yo, check out these weird Arabs who are trying to impose a, like a sort of like Saudi version of Islam here." And then, like, the, part of the reason why that never came off is because they would be immediately drowned out by the sound of like the Air National Guard fucking demolishing somebody's compound and burying a bunch of people alive. And I, I think this this is something this also leads us, I think, nicely back into back into our discussion of history. Also, yes. Also, we also we uh, we helped them out a lot by killing all of the Arab leaders of the Taliban. Uh, and so it, you know, increasingly became more more homegrown Afghans. Just like, not not perhaps our smartest move. So uh, we we talk a little bit more about um about history, right? So we've alluded to, I think that this is sort of a multi century problem. Um, we've also sort of discussed, I think, this this idea that there is another thing that's inescapable. I think in the sort of run up to and now denouement from from the from the occupation of Afghanistan. Which is that uh, the Taliban are evil, and if you don't, if you do not understand them as basically a cartoon villain, then um, you are once again a sort of you are yourself a sort of liberal baddie. But 
and and that's not to say like actually the Taliban are based or whatever, but rather like the Taliban. No, the right are saying that now, yeah. which is perhaps the weirdest feature of this. But it's that it's that the Taliban there there have been many Taliban's. Uh, there are many regional. Uh, there are many Taliban's throughout time and space, and you don't really understand that without understanding, for example, the sort of original Saudi Taliban, the fact that the Pakistani Taliban and the Afghan Taliban are basically different. You don't really even understand it that without then understanding, well, the um the sort of the facts of the of the sort of earlier Anglo-Afghan wars and the great game that led to the drawing of the Durand line as it was. And Yeah, the the fish climbing out of water for the first time. <laughs> but and again, this is something that again we, we were speaking about earlier, right, Aaron? Like the understanding that um the understanding of these sort of the last couple hundred years of history where it is it's not so much that Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires because of some essential thing about it it's rather a um it is it has been a place in fact that has been sort of held in held either in stasis in stasis or had itself projected onto by various empires by or various sort of uh expeditionary projects whether those are saudi or russian or uh, or British, or, or American, or, or what have you, right? Uh, yeah, it's um, like this sort of projection you talk about, I think a lot of what is driving the need to project is that we simply don't understand what is going on in Afghanistan. We don't really understand what the Taliban are. But they, if, if you try and get to the bottom of the Pakistan, Afghan, Taliban, they're sort of incredibly ambivalent, their relationship what constitutes the new generation of the Pakistan is completely unknown to uh, to scholars and military analysts. And there was a fantastic quote I read. Um, I think it was in a New Yorker article uh, where a U.S. military personnel uh, said the cultural complexity of the environment is just so huge that it's hard for us to understand it. And I think this, that really, really captures like when, when if you don't know what is going on, you have to create extremely crude narratives which your domestic audience understands and which you eventually imbibe and begin to believe by projecting it onto it. But the reality is we don't know who these people are. We don't know the forces which are driving the political economy of Afghanistan. And we don't know what's going to happen. Like we like, I mean, God knows what's going to happen in Afghanistan. It could be a civil war. Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban might be able to assert control. We simply don't know. And not knowing even the vague direction of travel really, um, really is is telling about what we have been doing for the last twenty years. But of course, if you are a um, if you are a good liberal war planner, then you what you actually know is that that is that the Afghan is that um, Afghans yearn for uh, a pret, and that the Taliban yeah. his main, their whole main thing is making sure there aren't is making sure none of that ever happens. Right. That for example, like one of the one one of the sort of key failures of state building, uh, for example, is that most of the you know uh, like pedophiles and murderers uh, who are our pedophiles and murderers, uh, mm. empowered by sort of the U.S. and U.K., um, were not really interested in governing. And that and you said earlier, right, uh, Aaron? Like one of the things the Taliban were doing was like governing. They were governing. They weren't just governing before two thousand and one. They were governing quite a bit of the country at a local level, basically since 1996, more or less on more in some cases, more or less uninterrupted. I mean, they're the only people who provide have provided any governance. If, if you're a, if you're an Afghan who hasn't supported the Taliban, 
um, traditionally, you you might you you might be more open minded to them than you were before after successive governments propped up by the West, which just sort of like moved money upwards and outwards to Dubai for twenty years. Like like the, the Taliban reminds me a lot of the Houthis. They're sort of like incredibly brutal. They kill spies. They kill anyone who talks back to them. But their galvanizing sort of like mission and is what which brings support from their base is anti-corruption. And it's anti-corruption created by like a Western, the West propping up various regimes, like mm. Salah in Yemen and, and, and Karzai and Ghani in Afghanistan. Yeah. And it's, and it goes back to, well, why are we propping up those regimes? Because we need to project ourselves onto this place. We need their money and we need some sense of meaning for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it's that this, and, and, and we had this idea, right? It was, in fact, a Canadian general who's sort of, uh, Rick Hillier, uh, who's sort of credited for bringing it sort of much more into the forefront when the war in Afghanistan became, when counterinsurgency became a state building project, right? When you decided that how we're going to, um, how what we're going to do is that we're going to get a guy from, I don't know, like, we're going to get a guy from the home counties uh, who went to like a sort of you know second rate public school and you know might be in crippling crippling automotive debt? Uh, we're gonna get them to go over to Helmand, and we're and if they tell enough people to go to a town council meeting, uh, and then go back to the base at night, then a pret will happen somewhere. Mm. Like that was sort of the main. That was basically the theory of change, and there was this whole idea, right? That because that that if you if we want to build states. Because we are good liberals and we believe that everyone's more or less sort of the same in the ideas that they have, not their material needs, of course, but their ideas are all the same. Yeah, uh, everyone contains a liberal. Yes, indeed. Everyone contains a liberal. They're just waiting for that liberalism to be sort of released when we remove the sort of uh, bad elements at the top and arrange those people into the right institutions. So we have someone called the Secretary of Education now, and we have something called a school, and we have something called a police station. We have something called a town council, or 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 whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so it's 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 almost a cargo cult, isn't yeah. it? Precisely, and I think what this always ignores, right, is that states emerge from history, right? States do states are not simply arrangements of institutions; they are arrangements of institutions that come from history. And if you look at the history here, it is not it is it is the history of of it of. If, if, of, of powers coming in and sort of um, and, and directing, that directing that process off course, of, of arresting it in history, of stopping sort of the, the development of, of capacity in order to fulfill these fantasies or, in the case of the great game, assuage paranoia. But it's always for the needs of Britain or America or Russia or uh, uh, fucking Saudi Arabia. There's always someone who's willing to say, we are now going to fulfill those needs by trying to make Afghanistan into a vision of ourselves. And, and the, 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 the wellspring of liberalism um, came from the same place as that idea of scientific rationalism. Like they're sort of one of the same thing. It's the idea, as you say, of it's not, it's not history driving politics. It's if we can sort of scientifically rationalize what a school is, what a political party is, what a government is, what a security apparatus is, uh, we can sort of like apply it in a sort of mathematical way. And that 
came out of Europe at exactly the same time as the idea of liberalism and rights of man. Like they're kind of, they're, they're completely inseparable. So it's no real surprise that liberalism can only really be built top down. And, and, and do you think, and that's all the, the other thing, right? Is, well, how do we think the liberal states emerged? They also emerged from history. These ideas themselves emerged from the need to create, say, justifications for why we did the first imperial project. Like that's the uh, it's it's like um it's like trying to reconstruct a fire based on what the smoke looks like. You know, it is it it was it's one of these things. And also, you know, Aaron, you were saying this to me earlier as well. It's like for 150 years, people have been trying to modernize Afghanistan based on fantasies that they have that arose. From how from their material reality of their own countries, um, and so it's it's just it's you know this new boss here comes the new boss same as the old boss oh they're they're calling it the secretary of education this time but it's still because the the material reality is not changing or not changing very fast or not changing at the same pace again because of this outside interference then you're you're not you're going to call the same guy a different thing and hope that that somehow changes it. You're going to say, well, these guys used to be, you know, fighters for this warlord. We've called them the police yeah, how, now. How can, they, how can they not be communists? They have a general secretary now. <laughs> and, like, you can say it, at the, if you want to think of it this way, I think the next logical question is, well, okay, what's the difference between state building and having a colony? Nothing. There is vibes. no difference. Yeah, vibes. It's a vibes difference. You know? Um like it's and and we had we tried to and there were the the theory was just don't forget this because there are going to be a lot of people in politics in the labor party and the conservative party and the and the head of every broadsheet people just sort of yabbering at you saying that they're going to try to get you to forget this that we tried to build Afghanistan as a neoliberal state we we tried to do that um uh, where and, and and that the whole idea, right, is that the state is just a service provider and contract issuer, and we tried to there was this whole Ayn Rand fantasy where we didn't even like you knew that they weren't. I mean, we always knew that they weren't serious about it, but anyone who was interested in what was going on would know they weren't serious about it when they decided they would not pick anybody to run anything uh, that had any experience of uh government of governing the country from uh before because they were all communists or they had all been communists in the past they were like nope can't get these people we're gonna have to just get i don't know um dost him he's gonna be he's gonna be the the, the, well, the vice president that's, that's a, a funny exception is that like none of that seemed to matter when it was the worst people you can imagine because dost had been a communist really? for a while he was a yeah he was a I union leader that. uh before before he went bad if you like um uh just, just one of his classic moves of being a communist, an anti-communist, an Islamist, an anti-Islamist, uh, and so on and so on. Yeah, almost as though whatever he, it's, it's that's who rose to the top is whoever understood the the nature of the game, which is that others, which is that the imperial cores of the world project their fantasies onto us. Those of us who conform to those fantasies, we get the you know giant buckets of money that we can then put in suitcases and send to Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. As speaking of which, on the other hand, uh, less personally venal, but also true of of Karzai and Ghani, yeah. uh, who were able to like. Uh, I so badly want to read Ashraf Ghani's book about <laughs> how to how to fix a failed state right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's on my list. We I'll should. get to it. We, we, I think we should read it probably on a future episode. Um, 
Do you remember the the sort of uh, hagiography of Ghani when he came in? I remember sort of almost being sold on it myself. It was sort of always pictured among bookcases and very scholarly sort of like ex-World Bank, sort of a real technical fixer-upper of a guy. Um, And because he was sort of like sort of short and sort of like quite soft looking, I think he really served the optics really well. Yeah, yeah. And what's really funny is that he did live up to to the ideology. He 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 implemented a perfect neoliberal solution for Afghanistan, which is that like, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna do colonialism because colonialism is when you just give pallets of cash to like uh security contractors, right? Uh, what we're going to do instead is we're going to uh, do a sort of like round of startup funding where we're going to find a bunch of very innovative people, give them the money, and then they give it to the security contractors. And that's different. Yeah. And I mean, if you if you want to think of it this way, right, because a neoliberal state sees itself largely as a service provider and contract issuer, right, like that's that is how that is a relationship between the sort of neoliberal state and the citizen, right, is that uh, it does a lot more things. But in terms of basic service provision, it is that's what it is. It is a it is an agglomeration of services that people pay for through taxes. Um, mm-hmm. And what really what we created was we created a big machine that sucked in money from all over the world uh, in pallets. Then it broke that money down off of those pallets, and then either directly or via a security company uh, would then send the money from those pallets in duffel bags to Dubai. And that's what Auto, it was. Huh? That's, I mean, there's 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 multiple possibilities as to where that money ended up. But yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's what that ultimately like all of this, everything, all of the everyone who was sort of killed, who had their life destroyed, who was you know just humiliated by sort of a teenager or whatever. Uh, it was so that this just that that was the machine that they were working on. That is what they gave it all to build. That's what Tom Tugendat's people, they, that's their sacrifice. That's what it was for. It was for a machine that sent money from, I don't know, the Swedish Development Agency to Dubai by <laughs> Afghanistan. There it was. It's what you did. Um, so, and we can, all, we can all feel very positively about this. And I mean, if we want to see, sort of go back to this, right, where all of, all of the effort all of the it was very clear that this was happening, not just from like you know three years ago. This is what it's sort of always been. Like what the security development nexus, the three Ds, the whole of government approach. Every single buzzword has been a method for constructing big buildings. You call schools that very rarely have people in them, unless it's in a big city. Yeah, it's, it's basically money laundering is the thing. And we we have essentially been wallet inspected by five guys who wanted to invade Afghanistan, which is great. Like I, I can't. It's it beggars belief that like we thought we could, or that that the British state thought it could like I don't know what turn Helmand Province into like you know like a canton of Switzerland because like Britain can't even build a functional state here. No. And 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 Helmand particularly, like Helmand was just an echo of first Afghan war. That was where. Um, the Brits really got hammered in when they were retreating through it. They just used to massacre entire villages on their way out. Like it's phenomenal. So a lot like the, the, the British are held like in Iran, actually in extremely sort of ill repute by Afghans, like even much more compared to the Russians and the Americans, just because of that cultural memory. It's like, it was kind of a real like trauma. And I mean, in the face of all of this, in the face of, making every decision sort of, I guess, sort of in the most wrong or cruel way. 
What ultimately, Aaron, was the British plan? What, in the 1800s? <laughs> no, now. <laughs> now. Um, I mean, I think, I think you summed it up when you just said that we had to follow America. We just, it's, it's a mixture of sort of lazy sort of conceptions of a world which sort of hold as true that there is such a thing as a rules-based order which we prop up and the US is the uh, progenitor of that rules-based order so we're going to follow them and then I think the propaganda and the sort of politics meet in that it's something about what it's something about um, our our universal values our values being universal and in every Afghan, even in every Taliban, if they would sort sort of read a book, there is a liberal, um, yeah. and we can somehow sort of like bring it out of them. It's exactly the same sentiment which drove um, the spread of like Christianity as well. It was just like they they they're just too ignorant to know that they are Christian. Yeah, and we are too ignorant to know when we have been beaten by uh, our own <laughs> sort of. We are too ignorant. You're too ignorant to know when we have be- been beaten by our own uh, hubris, uh, incompetence, and uh, the. I think uh, I've been thinking a lot about this day. I was wondering whether or not to include it, but I was thinking a lot about the concept of original sin when it comes to imperial powers, where we talk about states being formed as processes of history, and you do not become an imperial state at this point in the 21st century. You don't really become an imperial state, generally speaking, without having an imperial past. The countries of NATO, your five eyes, more or less. And you do not continue to exist as an imperial state unless you do things that you are driven to do, that you feel you must do. These things that cause uh, sort of these outbursts of um, sort of mawkish sentimentality in the Brits of sort of, um, you know, almost like uh, uh, sort of get the, the sort of giddiness of potential violence in Americans. Um, you do not sort of have that unless you feel like that is your purpose, and unless you, unless sort of our societies, I think, can be made to confront their original sin, then I see no, I see, no, I see us do having further Suezes, sort of just uh, more, each more farcical than the last, but none less tragic because of the suffering that they involve inflicting on those least able to bear it. Well, it is, we didn't. Of course, we also didn't just harm the people that we harmed directly in Afghanistan, if you follow me. We also harmed the people who, uh, if if they weren't necessarily on board with the whole liberalizing vision, had some kind of impetus for reform. The, If you like, as a sort of byword for this stuff, the women and girls, right? Like, um, And the people who we are now you know, arguing about whether or not we're going to evacuate them from Afghanistan. And I think it's an immense cruelty that we did, is to like... Well, okay. the 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 consequence of us occupying, if you are say, um, if you want to build schools, if you want to do feminism, if you want to do anything that is like unpopular with the Taliban and is like perhaps a little bit more more like secular or progressive or whatever, uh, you are able to do this without being killed immediately in some places. Uh, at the cost of you may be killed horribly later, and also. For time immemorial, you are now a foreign agent. Um, and any time that you try to do anything, all anyone has to say is, "Oh, well, you're you're being funded and protected by by the Americans, by NATO, by ISAF," uh, and you, your ideas are like, you know, 
completely foreign, and it becomes like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So like, if you if you do want this kind of like liberal thing, and if you do want this, perhaps the the good things out of that, uh, if you want perhaps like an equal status of women within the Sharia, right? That's that's something that like it kind of becomes immediately sabotaged and tainted by the association with the occupation. Yeah, because it's not like, as I was saying, like it's not like these modernizing reformist liberal values are alien to Afghanistan and we've brought them and they've just said no thanks. Like mm. they've existed in Afghanistan, but we've, as you say, we've totally cartelled any possibility of it becoming an organic indigenous phenomenon, which is the only way you can state build. Yeah, it's, it's once again, you know, it's, 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 we have, by, pro by projecting this sort of parody version of ourselves um, on, onto this day, we sort of broadly, right, the global consumers of last resort that form NATO, um, mm. have once again, you know, arrested history, basically, for the last 20 years. And mm -hmm. um, again, why do we do it? Uh, because some guys wanted to, uh, because, mm -hmm. and they wanted they to, didn't yeah. think of, they didn't think of Muslims as human. Yep. They kind of wanted a, a vague attempt at revenge for 9-11 yep. and for, uh, that classic motivator glory, yeah. um, of which we have found remarkably little in Afghanistan. If you care about that sort of thing. Yep. That's right. Uh, and you know, it was, it was not just, and it wasn't just the glory for, you know, the, the sort of the generals. It was glory for the pundits. It was glory for the politicians. Yeah. It was glory for the reformers. They were going to be proved right, and uh, they weren't, and this has been like a sort of a psychic wound on them ever since. And I think sort of... Th thus the sort of like long things about how I'm not owned in national newspapers. And I, I, one of the long sort of other questions you can say is, well, if this tendency, like, you know, um, fascis fascism, as we say, is... Uh, you know, colonial violence returning to the metropole. Uh, well, it's not going anywhere. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't no wonder all of the uh, the right wingers think that the Taliban are based now. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw a tweet from um, former U.S. Navy SEAL Robert O'Neill, uh, who was like one of the sixteen guys who has claimed to have killed Bin Laden at this point. And the tweet is, this is only like four, uh, like four hours old. The tweet is, did you see how the Taliban rolled through the streets and took back their country? I know a few dudes who would do the same with me right now. Mm -hmm. So it's coming back. It's coming back. Coming back. I mean, it already came. It's coming home. <laughs> it's coming home. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, I, I tell you, like the, the sort of the vast increase of the, of the surveillance state. I mean, all of that stuff. It's all... All just sort of war coming home, but well, I guess that's that's all mm -hmm. she wrote. D dusting, dusting hands theatrically. It's China's problem now, and uh, you know, wish them every success with yeah. it, more or less. Uh, so I think with with all that in mind, um, uh, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Um, final thoughts. Uh, no, yeah. edit out the question. Yeah. There are no final yeah, there are thoughts. No fi there will nothing, never no, be a because final Because nothing thought. ever ends. There's no finality. How can you have final thoughts? Yeah, that's, well, podcast episodes do have, you might say they never end. They have interludes of about three days, end, depending on if Adrian, you're a subscriber. nothing ever ends. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, like, uh, Alice's last comment sounded like a nice ending, so I don't want to ruin it. Aaron, mm. it's always, always a pleasure. It's, it's always a pleasure oh, yeah, to have you on, 
though the topics we discuss are um, so far have, have been rarely uh, anything like that. Uh, but I, I do want to say thank you so much for coming on and uh, sort of talking about this with, with us sort of today and also throughout the day. Um, and, you know, for just for, for, um, for, for giving us like that, like sort of attention and focus. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, and, it's all, it's all, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. I was really happy you invited me. And also, um, uh, don't, if you're on, on the internet listening to this, uh, I'm sure uh, Nate will link many of these in the description. But one of the few things you can actually do is you can, there are ways you can fund uh, organizations helping Afghan refugees in your home country. I know Nate mm-hmm. has already been doing that. And um, yeah. I'm certain... Refugee yeah. in Glasgow. Extremely good. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure he will put some links down on the bottom. If you, if you, want, if you want to... It, it's the opposite of Tobias Elwood going on TV and openly weeping that, you know, um, we're not sort of sending in a cavalry charge, you know, to support mm-hmm. Panjshir. It's the opposite of that. You can do the opposite of a Tory MP going on TV and fucking crying. You can actually do something that will actually make someone's life better who has been negatively impacted, let's say, by this country trying to work its shit out. So I strongly recommend Yeah, we're just that. going through some stuff right now. <laughs> so I, I strongly recommend uh, that you check those out. Uh, so Aaron, do you have anything you want to sort of direct people to uh, uh, as we're leaving? Um, yeah, why not? Um, I've got an article coming out on new lines um, in a couple of weeks. It's about uh, the resistance and missiles and deterrence and how basically Iranian sort of like weird indigenous technology is being rolled out in Yemen and Gaza and Lebanon. Um, and it's actually affecting how uh, Israeli and Saudi generals act in the Middle East. So uh, do check that out when it's here. But uh, other than that, I think we're ready to say, uh, ready to sign off. Say thank you, Aaron, again. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you in a few days on the Patreon or about a week's time on the free episodes, depending on how you choose to interact with this RSS feed. All right. Later, everyone. (laughs) 